Hi everyone, John here. I uh, just want to share a very quick update ahead of this episode. Uh, I just want to let you know that sadly there was a little bit of um, like an error or a weird bug on my audio. Uh, I think it was something to do with the power cable I was using on my podcast machine, which has been a bit temperamental in the past, but I thought I'd fixed it. Sadly, came to edit the podcast, discovered there is this kind of electrical buzz behind my audio. Now, I've done uh, a lot of work to try and uh, tidy it up in post, so it's a lot better than it was, but there is still, like I said, this slight buzz behind my uh, behind my, my, my voice. PJ, by contrast, sounds great. So just want to apologise in advance if this episode doesn't live up to the usual uh, exceptionally high standards uh, you've come to expect from a show. Nevertheless, I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John, and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ, and I'm the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. More, more so than ever, PJ, I feel this is very much a tale of two podcast hosts, <laughs> and they're very differing kind of health health and and energy experiences of the last week or so yeah how, how are you feeling i am so tired it's it's ridiculous i haven't been this consistently tired every day for a long time and and mm. i don't like it i'd like some energy back no no and and we, we uh, sorry listeners for a bit of context uh pj sadly has you had um you've had had the old rona haven't you uh, i succumbed to the rona for the first time in the pandemic i know i have succumbed to the rona you had a couple um, of scares didn't you? you had a couple of moments yep. where yeah there was there was a period right at the beginning where my wife and i both had very light headaches and lost our senses of taste and smell but apparently it wasn't COVID. We never tested positive, despite rigorously testing all the time. Uh, and a doctor did tell us that there was another virus going around <laughs> at the same time that, that did that. So great. So we think that's what we had. We don't think either of us had COVID then. That just seems like a cruel joke from nature. Yeah. Like somebody, yeah. you know, somebody's having a laugh there. Yeah, they must be. They must be. But then my wife got it over Christmas last year and I managed to avoid it couple of days where I was like oh I'm feeling like I've got a bit of a headache here but we, we put that down to just because my wife was basically bedridden for a couple of weeks I was doing everything so I got tired out but then yeah this time it was real part of me was relieved because mm. when I got that positive test yeah part of me was really annoyed as well because I was like maybe I'm immune that would be great <laughs> no but I was slightly relieved because there was a part of me going, have I just been doing the tests wrong oh, these last yeah, two years? Because yeah. I'm not a medical expert. I might be just 
messing it up. But no, I, I got the solid solid line. I was positive. So I was like, oh, okay, yep, I've been doing the tests right. It's just this is the first time I've had it. I remember when um, I haven't had a positive test. Not um, no, sorry, not a. You know, yeah, uh, you know the um, the app we which I I'm still using, but I feel I might be one of the few people actually yeah, using it. Same, same. Um, but um, I remember getting pinged, and I, I only got pinged twice. And the first time was when I tried to organise a COVID-safe stag do. <laughs> and then the moment we were all travelling back from, from from the stag, thinking, oh, we've done it. We found a safe, isolated house in the country. Everyone tested beforehand. It's great. As soon as we're coming back, one guy messages the group and goes, oh, yeah, I've just tested positive for COVID. I'm like, oh, damn it. So, like, we all... Um, yeah, we, we all had to isolate, but mercifully, no one else got it. It was fine. And then the second time I, I, I got a positive test, I was really annoyed because my workplace had just been saying, okay, guys, like, you know, we're working from home. That's all been fun and all, but we really want you to come in now. Hmm. And then I come in and instantly get a ping. I was like, oh, great. Yep. Well, okay. Back to isolating for days and all that. Uh, but yeah, when I finally got it, uh, which was a few months ago now, um, I was very lucky, very lucky in that, you know, I had no lasting effects. I, I just felt very rough for a couple of weeks. Um, it was more a sense of annoyance than anything, because I was like, damn it, I almost had like a perfect streak. Yeah, that annoyed me too. Yeah, it's like I almost I almost survived it. I, I don't know how long this is going to go on for, but it's like, ah, oh, it, it felt like I was playing a perfect game. Yeah. In a way. Yeah, and then you just choked at the last the last however you score a point in this game you you choked at that bit and i you know here's here's a message for all you kids out there from your old uncle pj capitalism is bad because i caught it at work as well it was mm. definitely I, i'd had a work agm we're st still working from home for the most part but we had to go into a hotel room hotel conference room gather together for this agm and it was the day after that, I started feeling a bit unwell, and the day after that, that I tested positive, and did, someone was definitely coughing and spluttering their way through that AGM. So, work is bad, capitalism is bad. Let's dismantle the system. We well, see. I think um, with no, I didn't have any grander aspirations. Like I wasn't trying to like overthrow the system or anything. But having just kind of like quit my day job, um, I'm. I guess I'm. I'm. My, my my chances of kind of getting infected again are a lot slimmer, shall yep. we say? Yeah. Uh, although I would say my 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 likelihood of ever wearing smart trousers again is basically is is nil at this point. I mean, they're overrated. I know. God, yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, it's like the, the best thing to come out of a global pandemic was discovering uh, leisure wear, as, as we call it. <laughs> but but was that how they rebranded sweatpants, basically? I think so, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, they're all just sort of pyjamas. They're what I wear in bed. And yeah. Then, and then people go, no, it's leisure wear. And I'm like, it's not, though, is it? This is an I've let myself go wear. And that's fine, but that's what it is. Let's not kid ourselves. Well, I mean, you say that, PJ, but um, we uh, we follow each other on the only social media platform that matters, which is Strava. Yes. And um, you've been you've been a big run runnist. For quite a while, and I've always been uh, impressed by your your the kind of miles you're putting in. So you haven't entirely let yourself go. No, I haven't. But well, to be fair, I haven't run now for about 
two and a half weeks because of the the Rona. And <laughs> I think I think that's okay, PJ. I'm not going to judge you too harshly. I am trying to get back out and build up to it, but at the moment, the best I can do is about walking a kilometer and a half or so, and then it's like, no, I'm tired. I've got to stop. I need to lie down. Well, I am ostensibly doing a half marathon in un- under a month now. Ooh, and. I this is I, I want to I I was going to come onto the, the show in a real kind of like uh, high energy pumping pumping my fist in the air kind of vibe but then I remembered that oh yeah PJ is actually recovering and I don't want <laughs> don't want to kind of like force <laughs> that in his face but um I I went for a run this morning and I have I, I and I was I was uh, I did I did nine miles before coming on the pod this morning oh wow I know well I know I, surpri- nice. I surpri- thank you I surprised myself and. And I got to a point where I was like, "Oh my god, this this is happening! I'm in, I'm in the sweet spot." And I, I, I like Zen, whatever you want to call it, I was like, "I think I could keep running forever. This is great." And then I was like, "Ah, but now I have a trade-off, you see, because I've got an appointment with PJ to go and record the world's leading Grant Morrison JLA-themed podcast." Mm. And I'm like, every additional mile I try to get on the clock lowers the likelihood that I'm going to shower before the podcast. It's okay. I'm I'm a long way away from you. I can't smell you. I know. Well, we've already established that we we record via Skype with with the camera turned off, so we mm. can ne- we've never seen each other anyway, which I think is good today. Cuz <laughs> uh, I'm I am I am a state a certain um rawness, shall we say? And I'm like I I don't know if this is like uh, whether I'm living my best life or if I've self-actualized, but I'm like I feel God. It's like you know, I I I I've done something physical, I and mean, then I've come here, and it's going to be very, you know, mental. We're gonna we're gonna kind of exercise the brain now as well as the body. It feels kind of, I don't know. I, I feel like I should be like super. What 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 do like all the, uh, the tech bros do? Don't they put like butter in their coffee or something like that? Isn't that like um? Oh, there's a name for it. It's like a supercharging your coffee, that sort of thing. With butter. What? Why yeah. would they do that? What's I, wrong I, with them? This is the worst anecdote in the world. But you know, like all the, all the kind of like biohacking stuff, where people are like, "Oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna eat for 24 hours because oh, that'll God, supercharge yeah. my brain, and then I'm gonna eat like a, a handful of like uh, quinoa." And 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 apparently, there's I don't know if it's like a super coffee, but you're meant to have like a shot of espresso with like butter in it, and then down it, and that's gonna that's like oh, that's like supercharging your brain kind of thing. Sometimes I think the end of the world can't come soon enough. It's good for the dairy industry, PJ. I'm, yeah, but they, they get all them cheese bucks anyway, so... The big cheese bucks? Yeah. Is, cheese is, is delicious. They make loads of money off I that know, cheese. I know, I know. I was actually just kind of picturing like uh, like those kind of slices of American cheese. Like <laughs> like that, but slightly more uh, rectangularly with like uh, a dollar bill kind of printed on it. <laughs> I would gladly use those to pay for cheese. I trade in a slice of American cheese and get a big wheel of brie. I'd be a happy man. Oh, you a brie man? Oh, I love a brie. I, I, yeah, I've, I've never, never a hundred percent got behind the kind of softer cheeses. If that brie, makes sense. right, right. Melt it on some chips, a real posh cheesy chips with some brie melted on it. Oh, that's the stuff. Do you um? It, 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 am I picturing like uh, an evening at Chateau PJ where you've got like a wheel of brie and you've set it in like the embers of, I don't know, some, some kind of coal fire you've been burning 
and then over the course of the evening, do you just kind of like stick loaves of bread in it and just kind of scoop out this kind of gooey, gooey nonsense? Possibly while nursing a port. I mean, it's the dream. I haven't done it yet, <laughs> but yeah, that is that is what I want in life. That's that's the stage I need to get to. You see, I'm more I'm more um, I'm more into my hard cheeses. I love a hard cheese too. Give me a, a a really good mature cheddar. Oh, there's nothing quite like that. Yeah, I kind of want some cheese now. This <laughs> is a problem, isn't it? Welcome to John and PJ's cheese cast. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. What if it was a backdoor a backdoor cheese cast? Like we've been kind of we we tricked everyone with sixty sixty odd <laughs> episodes, and then we pull the rug out under them, and suddenly all we do is review cheeses. <laughs> Give the people what they want. That's what I say. I think we'd have to we'd have to move that to YouTube and do it as a video so people could see the cheese and see us oh, eating sure. it. Yeah, yeah, and then like in a half hour video talking about cheese, we'd have like a little insert, like a little two minute insert where we we, we very quickly review a Grant Morrison comic. <laughs> I think you know it's just the natural evolution of what we're currently doing, as far as I can see. I. I Given the weirdness of YouTube, you know, given, given that there are channels where they eat hot sauce and talk about something completely unrelated, a, a cheese and comics themed YouTube channel, it, I, that is no more or less ridiculous than anything that's currently on the air. I feel like you need to cut this section out of the podcast so we can keep the idea for ourselves and make sure <laughs> no one steals it. Yeah, this is actually far too good. <laughs> That's where the real money is. Um, do you uh, do you uh, want to hear a letter that we've received, PJ? I always want to hear letters we've received. Does it mention cheese? It it does mention food, but it's not oh, cheese. Oh, okay, okay. I mean, I'm not as excited then, but let's do it anyway. Well, this comes in from Christopher Monica Murphy, and uh, I, I would say to anyone who feels tempted to write in, because PJ has made some some um, slanderous comics in the past, which suggest that <laughs> I, as the curator of the inbox, never share things with him. I don't say never, I say it's like 50-50. No. Okay, yeah, over the lifetime <laughs> of, of the podcast, maybe it's 50-50, but like... Only up to a point. Like, like I was bad up to a point, and then I think I'm pretty consistent beyond that. Mm. But uh, PJ has not seen this email, if only because it. I've only opened the inbox this morning, and it had just come in. And I was like, well, there's no point in sending it to him now when I can tell him about it in person. Yep. So this comes in from Chris the Monica Murphy, a uh, long-time listener and good friend of the show, who... Um, now, now, PJ, this I want you to cast your mind back to the issue uh, we uh, we just read. Uh, do you remember Kyle talking about some a particular food that Zariel Zoriel Zariel brought onto the the watchtower? Oh, breakfast cereal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A weird Old Testament cereal. Now, yeah. in in my head, I don't know. I, I, I don't know why this is. I'd always assumed that for whatever reason, Zariel just had like, um, um, oh, uh, like, a, like a communion wafers, <laughs> like lying around. I, 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 don't ask me why. I kind of assumed that for whatever reason, Zariel was eating communion wafers. I, I, I don't, I, is, that, is that what you pictured or did you genuinely picture cereal? 
Well, I, I thought it was like the most basic form of cereal. So it was just like maize, but dry. <laughs> and then they put it in some milk. Like biblical, genuine biblical cereal. Yeah. <laughs> well, PJ, it's funny you mentioned that. Because uh, uh, Chris uh, uh, Chris Murphy for Monitor writes, I'm not sure if it's present on your side of the pond, but over here in the States, there is a cereal called Ezekiel 4-9. Oh, my God. And he's attached a picture. So uh, I, I want you to picture, PJ, a, an orange box of cereal. Mm -hmm. so, 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 you know, standard dimensions of the cereal box. Got it. Uh, uh, and uh, it's made by a company called Food Life. Yeah, Food Life. So you have like a kind of uh, a Kellogg's -y kind of curly font with a sun behind it. Mm -hmm. And then it says Ezekiel 4.9 Sprouted Crunchy Cereal Original as described in the Holy Scriptures. Oh my God. So, this is true. Uh, it is a recipe actually found in the Bible in Ezekiel 4.9. Chris says he's never had it himself, but it is a thing. And he also points out that, incidentally, Ezekiel 4.12 says that the recipe should be baked with dung that cometh out of man. But that's where I think the cereal diverges. It's it's a poop cereal. Well, um, I mean... Is it I like Lucky Charms, where what? you get the breakfast cereal, but then instead of the marshmallow, it's bits of poop? Is that what we're... Well, I, here. I have to say the picture looks uh, delicious. It looks like little kind of um, uh, 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 little kind of nutty clusters, that sort of thing. In fact, now I should forward this to you, PJ, because then you'll be able to see the picture. <laughs> Honestly, here I am trying to do my best to restrict PJ from seeing anything of interest. Um, but yeah, it looks just like kind of uh, granola, like anything. And uh, I have to assume that the, the traditional baking with the dung that cometh out of man is like, I don't know, do you, do you take like a dried piece of dung and use it as fuel, perhaps, when you're baking? Well, there's, there's that coffee that's made, what is it, sieved through the dung of a oh. civet cat or something, is it? Yeah, yeah, it, it's, uh, it, uh, isn't that like the most expensive coffee on the planet? Yeah. I'm kind of tempted to try it, only because I know it's rare. It's, that's bad, isn't it? I mean, I think I'd like to try it before I found out that's what it was I was trying. If that makes sense. So someone says, oh, here's a lovely coffee for you to try. Oh, a lovely coffee. I taste it. And then they go, it's cat poo. It's passed through the digestive tract of a cat-like tree-dwelling mammal. That's got to be a rough like harvest. <laughs> yeah, you, you've got to pity the people who uh, who harvest that coffee. That is... A really boring-looking cereal box. Uh, yeah, I would imagine that if you are selling a biblical cereal, I would I would go as far as to say, in a non-controversial way, that I don't think the branding really matters that much. I'm going to say they haven't even followed their own recipe. Because this is clearly a spoonful of cereal with a couple of strawberries and some milk. Nowhere on here does it mention milk and strawberries. <laughs> Take unto thee wheat and barley and beans and lentils and millet and spelt and put them in one vessel and make bread of it. They haven't made bread of it either. Well, the, the real question here is when did, when did this cereal enter the market? As in, was it available 
to buy in what was it like January 2000, which is when the last issue hit hit scans. And would Grant Morrison have known about it? And do we think <laughs> this is what Zariel was was uh, was eating? Also, I'm sorry to fixate on this, but the strawberries, right? This reminds me of a stand-up bit by a comedian over here in the UK called Andy Parsons, who did a bit about serving suggestion on shredded wheat, says nice with strawberries. That's because strawberries are nice. <laughs> you don't get a packet of strawberries with a serving suggestion that says nice with shredded wheat, do you? So, yeah. Uh, I would be fascinated <laughs> to know if shredded wheat has has penetrated other markets outside the UK. It be must have. Because I'm the weird guy. I actually like a boring cereal. Like, the browner, the better. But even I am like, a shredded wheat is more of an experience than an enjoyable meal. It's like a, it's like eating a bird's nest is essentially what it looks like. Yeah, and I feel, I feel a shredded wheat is more biblical in nature than this cereal, which actually just looks like kind of granola clusters. Yeah, I I don't know anyone who eats shredded wheat without at least putting half a bag of sugar on it first. <laughs> my my uh, my granddad uh, used to eat. Bran, like all bran, mm. and he's the only person I've ever known to consume that willingly. Like that's the stuff that just looks like um, twigs. It, it just looks like brown twigs. It, it's uh, it's about as basic a food substance as you can imagine. Hmm. My my father-in-law is a big fan of a bowl of granola, but what he'll do is he'll make it the night before, put the milk on it, and then put it in the fridge so that it is just mush. Then the following okay. morning, you essentially make granola porridge. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Okay, interesting. I'm just sorry, I'm just taking a moment to visualise biblical cereal. <laughs> anyway, Chris, thank you, so, thank you so much for writing in. That is it, genuinely like when it comes to esoteric facts, I, I, I Chris is second to none. I would say uh, this has to be. One of my favourite things he's ever written in with, uh, <laughs> even though it is perhaps the least superhero related. I think, you know, it's nice to, to broaden one's knowledge and learn about things that are maybe nothing to do with JLA through doing this podcast as well as, you know, critiquing the, the great work. I just, I just like to imagine Zariel arriving on Earth during the MTV generation, hmm. adjusting to life in America and then wandering into a convenience store and seeing this biblical cereal on the shelf and then buying it and going, oh, I quite like that. Yeah, but it's only because he hasn't tried the Cocoa Pops. Oh, here's my, <laughs> yeah, here's my thing. Is the, is the inference that like a biblical angel is more drawn to granola <laughs> than, than a chocolate-themed cereal? Uh, well, maybe no, that's I feel one like Zauriel the... would, would want some fun because he Zauriel's on Earth to experience human life, isn't he? He wants to get the broad spectrum. So, I think once he goes to your your cocoa pops or other chocolate cereals that are also available, or your Lucky Charms with the marshmallow, <laughs> then he's not going back to the biblical stuff. I I I feel that 
because I, I we've talked about this a lot, but really, really like Z- Zariel as a character. I think he's great. Mm. Even if I often mispronounce his name or find like three different ways to pronounce it. So in my head, it's fine. Saying it out loud is very different. But I, I would say that, and we've commented on it, Zariel's personality changes quite significantly between his first appearance in the series, then his return and continuous appearance. Mm. And I feel the Zariel of American Dreams is a Coco Pops kind of guy. <laughs> and then I feel the Zariel, who's had a bit of time out in the world, has maybe mellowed, then becomes a big team player, very reliable. I think the, the Zariel, who becomes a regular member of the JLA, he's a biblical serial kind of guy. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Maybe he went out into the world and he tried every serial, and then he settled on one that really worked for him. <laughs> it's just, to be fair, that's what we should all be doing. PJ, um, we're in the midst of a world war. We are. Uh, where, where are we? What's happened? As, we, as well, we, we've, we're about to start part three of World War Three. Yeah. So the Injustice Gang have invaded the Watchtower, um, and basically they've taken down effectively the the JLA. Uh, the Prometheus has taken down Oracle and Huntress. Uh, he's just about to have a fight with Batman. That's fun. Superman and Steel have been battling the general. Um, Queen Bee has that is there as well. She's taking care of Steel. She did attack Green Lantern, but he's managed to fight off the effects of her um, mind control toxin. Yeah, and Lex uh, Luthor is there as well, but has a big eye growing around his head because Mageddon is on its way. Yes, uh, and haven't we, and we've seen one of those eyes before, of course, in the basement of Bell Reeve prison mm-hmm. uh inciting uh, a kind of riot so so yeah the watchtower is burning things are not looking good for the jla or indeed earth um but thankfully our good friend john johns has returned triumphantly uh, in the jla's moment of crisis Yes, so th- this is literally how the last issue ended, with Jean returning to the Watchtower, activating the telepathic link, and basically saying counteroffensive has begun. So, yeah, if this feels to me like the Injustice Gang, they're for it now. <laughs> oh, and um, yeah, and the funny thing is, I, I think even reading this at the time, I didn't, I didn't pick up on it until much later. But we haven't seen the Flash throughout this entire story. No, either the Flash we know and love or the the Dark Flash version who joined the League at the end of the previous trade. Yeah, and I... It's so, I mean, there's so many characters bouncing about and you're so kind of caught up in the action that you don't even, you don't even think about it and um, characters will comment on it later. But, but yeah, it's like, almost like, oh, where's, where's, where's Flash? Like, the team is... The team is, like, fractured and, and scattered to the winds, which... Um, is genuinely something I kind of love about the story, about how everyone's branching off and you've got like A plots and B plots kind of intersecting and stuff. Um, which, you know, if you're going to have a massive cast in the JLA, which is something that Morrison has done here, uh, I think it's quite a good way to handle them in a, in a complex story like this. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. <clears throat> um, well, PJ, if you are ready to dive into uh, this, this new issue, uh, which is uh, uh, World War Three, Part Three, Issue Thirty Eight of JLA, which came out in 
February 2000. I believe the action picks up with, um, well, one of those kind of fractured groups of J JLAers, if you will. Yeah, so we have uh, Orion out on the edge of space, uh, well, 12, year, 12 light years west of Earth, although do compass directions really <laughs> work in space? I don't know. Co cosmic West, PJ. Cosmic West, there we go, Space West. <laughs> and, yeah, he's basically at a world that has been destroyed, everyone's dead, they fought to the last, but they're, they've been blasted beyond recognition. And then Metron, Barda, and Wonder Woman, who we haven't seen last issue, but last we saw were off investigating Wonder World, where they found everyone was dead there as well. But they also appear now, and Wonder Woman's saying, we've got to get back to Earth and tell them how close this thing is. Yeah, and I like the idea that when um, when we saw the ruins of Wonder World, which um, is at the absolute limits of the of space and time, so I have to assume that, you know, that was like the boundary, like because because let me say something like, um, Mageddon was sitting in like a, a cosmic sinkhole or something on the edge of the universe for like five billion years, and now it's yeah crawled out of it. So yeah, yeah there's there's also a mention of, of from beyond the source wall. Oh wow! Oh god! Yeah, yeah. So there's like a there's like a progression here. Like uh, you can see, oh okay, it was on the edge of the universe, and then it's moved. And now it's only it's only twelve light years west of Earth, PJ. So it's heading in a dead straight line. Mm. Um, but uh, um, oh, Orion. Sorry, I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> Orion wasn't with them when they went to Wonderworld, was he? No, no. He's he's clearly flown from the Watchtower to to meet with Metron, Barter, and Wonder Woman. Yeah, it's a really small detail. I I just love a really small detail. I just love the kind of idea that all these characters are moving on their own little trajectories and Orion's not the most reliable member of the league at the best of times. So I don't know. I like the idea that him and Metron maybe had set a meeting point or something like that, or, you know, <laughs> we'll hook up kind of 12, 12 light years West of earth, or maybe they briefly stopped by the watchtower before everything went to hell, picked up Orion and then yeah. went their way or something. Yeah, but I, I love as well, we get this a bit of dialogue here from Orion that is pure Kirby. This is so Kirby. It's possibly the most Kirby thing Morrison ever wrote. He, they're, they're sort of in the presence of Mageddon now, and Orion says, The Warbringer approaches, and I, the most bestial, most martial of the new gods, I sense his primordial wrath like a thunder in my being. This is a menace from beyond the source. Motherbox struggles to contain my rage for cosmic destruction. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then we get this... Well, it, it, honestly, it's almost impossible to describe, but... We get the reverse shot. We see what they are looking at. And this is our first true look at Mageddon. Mm. And it is so weird, and so specifically weird, that I would attribute this to being a, an original Morrison design. Because uh, I know that uh, uh, Morrison is... Uh, a fairly accomplished artist in, in their own right, and uh, if you ever see some of the special features on their book, on their books, they will they'll quite often include sketches that Morrison has done, designing a character's outfit, uh, you know, certain poses, that sort of thing. Uh, and it's like a 
an egg with little tentacle legs, uh, evil eyes, uh, a beak, and then there's like a sun floating between its eyes. It is also immense. This thing is huge in size. It is. I mean, we saw the the again that amazing panel in uh, part one of the the sort of godlike figures flying the Mageddon weapons out into the universe when they were sort of in a more larval form, where it was just these six tentacles and a little black dome in a sort of collar device. Uh-uh. This is sort of clearly the more mature version of that weapon, and yeah, it is. As you say, it's it's a difficult thing to describe, but it is also just so stunningly realised. This thing feels like a credible threat to the world, like something that could easily destroy the universe. It just looks like it could. And that's testament to Morrison. That's testament to Porter. It is such a unique, awesome design. I love it. Yeah, because I, I think... Um... I think the world has not given Porter the credit he deserves in general, just as as an artist, because you can think of Porter as being a guy who draws like just big, kind of chunky superheroics. But this is so detailed and weird and and grotesque that like it, it kind of goes beyond that. It's just a, just an incredible image. Yeah, yeah, it really is, and. I know we, we've sort of had glimpses of Mageddon through right right back to Rock of Ages. We saw the eyes and the sun mm. um, sort of approaching Wonderworld. Although I've, I've, in my head, I remember the eyes were blue in that Oof. panel. I'm not I'm not so much of a stickler to go and check, but I have a feeling that that particular image wasn't drawn by Porter. My copy of Rock of Ages is just out of reach. I, I feel that was one of the... I don't want to say like filler, but you know right at the end of Rock of Ages, Metron goes on his little kind of jaunt to various places. And I think he stops by a Wonderworld and Adam Wan says like, oh yes, I remember the people yes. you speak of. They came here a long time ago. And I think that's when you see a bit of Mageddon. So I think it may have just been a case of like... Oh, this is this this is coming. We'll we'll sort out the details later, sort of thing. Maybe they hadn't quite finalised the look of it. Well, clearly, someone, most likely Morrison, had something in mind because you've got it's the eyes and the sun are there, and that is a big detail here on Mageddon. The eyes may have been a different colour, uh, but yeah, it's it's a hell of a visual. The thing is, if you had if Mageddon was only a foot tall it would be the kind of creature you go into the woods outside of town to kill to gain experience to reach your first level if it was small it would be adorable yeah as it happens it's bigger than the universe (laughs) yeah but uh, it's as I say, to leave, one to leave sort of the main threat in this story, you don't see it clearly. And not even the main threat of this story, the main threat of this whole series. This Mageddon is what JLA has been building to since 
not even JLA one, but since Midsummer's Nightmare. <laughs> yeah, and it could it could be argued that like the idea of a coming warbringer, like a coming threat that no man was preparing for, may not have been solidified, like exactly what that was, but it does leave the door open for something wonderful like like this to finally kind of like pay it off. So I've 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 looked up Mageddon on the uh the DC wiki just to see if it gives you any sort of idea about the the creation thereof. It does list like the early appearances. So as mentioned in sort of hinted at in Midsummer's Nightmare, mentioned by another name in another title that I don't think we want to mention just yet, but issue one of another book in 1996 before JLA. Then Mageddon, the name is said in JLA 12, and then the eyes, although coloured differently, are seen in JLA 15. Ah, Interesting. Okay, I will ask you off-air about that other title, because maybe I know it and it's just not springing to mind right now. You do. We might get to it in this issue, to be honest. Oh, interesting. Okay, okay, well... uh, Okay, so going back to the issue, we have now beheld Mageddon. And as we turn the page, uh, well, we, we go from a set of cosmic evil eyes bigger than the solar system to a close-up of the eyes of Batman. It's a really nice transition, actually. I hadn't thought about it before, but from Mageddon's eyes to Batman's eyes in extreme close-up and very similarly shaped because it's an angry Batman. So... <laughs> I, it's a very pissed Batman. This is this is not this is not nice Batman right now. Yes, this is a Batman who's threatening. He says, "I can see fifteen ways to kill you from this position. That's how vulnerable you are, Prometheus. But I'm not going to kill you. I'm here to bring you to justice." And then we get this insane shot of Batman standing atop. Uh, well, it doesn't really matter. Like a, a crate, a pillar, a bit of ruins. Uh, machinery uh, framed by fire because the entire watchtower is ablaze thanks to uh, the Injustice gang towering over Prometheus who uh, doesn't seem phased at all in fact seems to be relishing the prospect of a rematch as he says I beat you senseless last time just to show you I could and now I'm going to hamstring you lobotomize you with an ice pick and leave you drooling for the others to find let's go batman (laughs) Uh, this is such an exciting page just the prospect of batman and prometheus rematch that's that's something that readers had wanted since the first time prometheus beat batman and the fact that it's like yeah we want this we want batman to win this as well we just want to see batman beat the crap out of this guy now and genuinely, like, I feel a bit like Wolverine. We've gotten to the point now where, like, Batman is so cool in a meta sense that he's almost not allowed to fail anymore. Mm. So, which kind of made it so powerful when we saw Batman get beaten by Prometheus that first time. Like, that, that of course, is the whole point. Morrison knew knew what they were doing. So, yeah, like, if I'd been collecting this in issue form at the time... I would have been like salivating. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, the moment we saw the bat silhouette in the last issue, I'm like, yes. <laughs> this is it. This is the moment. I think that's that's the thing with Batman. Batman can lose to somebody once, 
but Batman will always learn from that defeat. And look at Bane, you know, Nightfall. Bane breaks Batman. Bane has not defeated Batman in any of their encounters since then. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost the literal definition of what doesn't kill you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, it's, for, it's for showdown of the century. Um, and we cut away to see um, a TV screen and a news report to show that wars are breaking out all across the, all across the planet and the watchtower is still burning which is which is visible from earth you can look up at the moon and see and see it burning like a like a torch uh like pj a promethean torch if you Ooh. Will. there you go there you go and um as the news reporter loses all hope on air and pulls out a gun uh we see a a particular green lantern's hand try to generate a shield out of um out of plasma yeah then the newsreader's shouting that we're all dead this is just the beginning all dead and then the next panel he's pointing the gun at his own head just small in the background here is the news may god forgive me as the shield that green lantern has generated sort of fades away and a voice says, you know, it's your ring's been neutralized. It's it was detected, it was located, it's now been neutralized. And Kyle just says, Oh no, my ring. And the voice off panel says, It can't be stopped. It uses what it finds. Uh, yeah, and, and we see um uh, a pair of hands uh kind of resting on the, the, the armrests of a chair. Um covered in a in a in a very kind of fleshy uh, globuly kind of um, slime with mm. there's tendrils as well. Um, little LL cufflinks. Little LL <laughs> cufflinks. I mean, it was nicer when all you had to worry about was bank robberies. Yeah, you know, as a superhero, this is getting into cosmic horror territory. And we see Kyle looking on in horror as he says, "Have we met before?" <laughs> Yeah, and then we get... Well, also, just before that, uh, you can still see the TV screen in the background, and it's just covered with blood now, so that reporter has shot himself in the head. Yeah. Um, things are dark. Things, yeah. <laughs> things are bad. Yeah. Yeah. So next page is just a double-page spread. One side is Kyle saying, I, I know your face from somewhere, and trying to get his ring to work with a model of the Watchtower on a table behind him. And then the other half, the other side, is Lex Luthor sat in this chair as this giant eyeball <laughs> is surrounds his head and shoulders and stares at Kyle with all its tendrils coming off it and snaking into the wall to hold it in place as Lex says, oh yes, I know you. And then we get the title and credits, so it is just World War Three Part 3. Grant Morrison, writer, Howard Porter, penciler, John Dell, inker, Ken Lopez, letterer, Pat Garrahy, colorist, heroic age separator, Tony Bedard, associate editor, Dan Raspler, editor. Um, this is some Cronenberg shit, basically. Um, and yeah. it, is, it is a stunning image. It is a stunning image. Like, this is one of the best things that Howard Porter's ever drawn, I think. Like... He, he may have missed his calling as a kind of horror artist. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like this, Mageddon and what Mageddon does, because these eyeballs are sort of the 
the they the heralds of Megadon, if you will. And it's a, a giant cosmic entity with a herald. That's very Kirby. That is mm-hmm. something Kirby has done more than once. But this is very much what if Kirby had just this little twisted Cronenberg Geiger side to him. It feels like this this then is the sort of thing he'd do. This is sort of Morrison taking that Kirby idea and just putting that little horrific, grotesque spin on it. Well, this is this is kind of like if I if I were the editor on this series, and you know, it is it is the late nineties and you go, Well, who do we want? leading JLA who do we uh, you know our flagship series who do we want reinventing the JLA for a new era and you go Grant Morrison that the the weirdo who did all that stuff in the 80s you know where where you know comics were kind of weird and disturbing and boundary pushing and 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 surreal and they're like you want that person doing like a big (laughs) superhero comic with, with Superman and I'm glad an editor said Yes, (laughs) Yes, because <laughs> yeah. this is what I feel gives Morrison the edge. Like, it's hard to pin down, but it's like, it's the left field weirdness, which will always make it more interesting to me. Like, the Heralds of Mageddon could have could have had capes and mustaches, you know, they could have been twirling grandiose villains or something, but... I don't know, they could have been robots, it could have been anything. Lex Luthor could just have been, like, hovering hovering here, kind of surrounded by gold light or something. Yeah. But no, it's like, let's slap a bit of big eyeball on it. Why not? A really gross, sticky, horrible eyeball. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's like... I don't know, I, I, I'm not very good, of, good at articulating this, but it's like, what if you take an old, powerful idea like the superhero in a meta sense and then you put that character that idea up against a bigger horrific idea mm. and it's like who comes out on top like i feel in the weird kind of like chaos magic-y worldview of morrison i feel this is literally like we're pitting the idea of the superhero against literally the idea of cosmic despair and hate yeah. like I feel this is very symbolic to Morrison. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it just continues over the page as well. Luthor's telling Kyle that he he is no longer a threat. Any threat he did pose has been eliminated. Um, he may have endangered the successful deployment of the Mageddon warhead, but not anymore because it's killed his ring and made him just as vulnerable as anyone else. And this is when the eye starts powering up. <laughs> we already know these things can fire energy blasts, and this one is about to basically vaporize Kyle until Jean just flies through the wall and takes the blast for him. <laughs> and it is a badass moment. Yeah. Let us not forget that Jean is, is more than just a psychic fellow. Like, we... One of my favourite moments is in uh, Rock of Ages when um, Jean and Superman just casually uh, boost a um, a big chunk of rock into orbit. Yeah, you know, it's like he he is he's strong. Like we don't talk about that enough. Yeah, yeah, he 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 is physically as powerful as Superman, and then he's telepathic as well. 
And um, this is this is absolutely no no slight against Howard Porter. I do not mean it this way, but after the absolutely stunning, detailed double page spread we just we just saw, which is incredible and must have been absolutely exhausting. I feel like this page is a little simpler. Like it's still really good. Like don't get me wrong, but I also feel that like I can sense that like his hand must have been kind of just like spasming after all the work that went into the previous double page spread there's it's, there's less background detail here isn't it? there's a lot of plain colors and then kirby crackle yeah and a bit of the wall when jean bursts through it but behind that again still just sort of the plain colors the, the less detail yeah yeah so this is not a slight at all i'm just like oh god put, yeah i'm like yeah powered please take it easy for a page or so <laughs> like, rescue rescue your arm oh and um uh, zariel's here as well yeah, as Ariel turns up as well, as as Kyle says, this is the same thing we saw in Belle Reve. And Jean says, there's a titanic, a presence titanic in scale using Lex Luthor as its host. We need to be careful not to injure him. As over the radio, Prometheus comes through and says, hey, Luthor, guess what? And then we cut to the Batman-Prometheus fight as Prometheus just smashes Batman in the stomach with his nightstick and says, I'm taking Batman down again. Can I just say, if... If I were a leaguer at this point, and you know, it's like, oh, Lex Luthor is possessed by a cosmic, a cosmic hell being. Uh, we must be careful not to injure him. I'd be like, yeah, but if we did, would would anyone know? Just <laughs> just a little bit of injury. Just just, just a little a li- bit. Just a little bit. You know. Uh, anyway, <laughs> you know. Um. So yeah. Um. Poor Batman, getting uh, absolutely. Um, Smacked in the breadbasket by uh, by Prometheus with his uh, with his nightstick. Yeah, but then the next panel, and this is so cool. Batman uses the little spikes on the like the wrist part of his gloves to just shred Prometheus's shin, and then comes up and smacks him in the chin with like a, an uppercut. And oh, it's brilliant! It's glorious to see that Prometheus's cockiness is is being undone. <laughs> yeah, and. I like all the, um, um, it's not quite dialogue, but I love the, um, it's not dialogue, it's not, it's not, it's not sound effects, it's not emanata, but it's just like the grunts, Mm. the the phonetic grunts and horrible noises you make when you've been smacked in the chin by Batman. (laughs) We just get a close-up of Prometheus's face and he's basically just going like, <laughs> kind of noise. Yeah, ba- Batman's not a talker when he fights, and he manages to then just duck another attack from Prometheus. And you know, this it doesn't feel like Prometheus has the upper hand this time. This is, again, this is a Batman who's learned from their previous encounter. Yeah, and um, it's one of those like sub- it goes beyond ridiculous to be sublime. Like, because normally, uh, I-, I would imagine if you're kind of scripting a fight scene, you wouldn't you wouldn't go to the effort of like writing out every nonsensical grunt that the fighters made but morrison does here um which i kind of love it's like the idea of like like two um two highly skilled but drunken bar bar patrons beating the crap out of each other <laughs> and they've gone to the point where like they can't even speak anymore <laughs> um prometheus tries to swing his nightstick which we have already seen can shatter like an a, an anvil yeah it's got like weird vibrational powers but Batman uh, blocks with his elbow, uh, ducks, uh, you know, kind of brings his fist around, 
And um, as we turn the page, slams Prometheus's own nightstick into his chest. And then brings Prometheus's face down into his knee. And he's, he's basically won. He's now just got Prometheus holding him up by, by the front of Prometheus's cloak. And then because Prometheus is losing, he has to start to cheat. Uh, yeah, so, so we get this kind of like, um, I don't know, it's almost like something out of antiquity, like this kind of like uh, Greco-Roman kind of panel where like Batman's just holding up Prometheus by by his cape as Prometheus is just like ragdolling, basically, because he's just been kneed in the face by Batman for crying out loud. <laughs> and then um, Prometheus smiles and um, goes, Major Rook, and uh, uh, shoots Batman in the chest with um, one of his gauntlet guns. Yeah, yeah. It's. I think the, the, the point of this section is Morrison... And indeed, DC needed Batman to win the physical confrontation, but then to also have this moment where Prometheus gets the upper hand again without undermining the fact that Batman has won the physical confrontation. So they just have Prometheus cheat and shoot in point-blank range. Yeah, and and it's funny, isn't it? Because the whole point of Prometheus, and the thing I love about him, is that he's the anti-Batman. Like, his, his entire life story mirrors Batman... Uh, you know, he's he's meant to have, like, uh, travelled the world, studied with masters, done everything Batman did. But he still had, he still has always had to cheat on top of that. And that's the one, that's the one edge that he doesn't have over Batman. It's like, oh yeah, like, I did everything you did, but also, like, I invented technology, which gives me a load of, like, completely unfair edges, basically. Hmm. I have to say, I absolutely love this little panel of Batman getting shot in the chest. Like, it's I've always loved this panel since I, I first read this book as a, as a teenager. And, um, yeah, this kind of wonderful perspective shot where we follow Prometheus's gauntlet as this blast just decimates Batman's chest. And then we just get, like, the silhouette of Batman's face and two little white kind of dots for his eyes. And I always like that one dot is slightly smaller than the other. Which kind of just suggests that Batman is wincing slightly. But it's also Prometheus making the fatal mistake that so many do. And the reason Batman designed his costume like this, he goes for the target on the chest. When a nice headshot would have just done the trick. God, you're right. Yeah, didn't think of that. (laughs) Um, There's a moment in... um, Oh, there's a few moments in... Morrison's run on Batman. I'm trying to think of there's a bit where one of the imitator Batman shoots our Batman square in the chest. And and he does it because he knows that Batman has armor there, but the impact of it is designed to give Batman a heart attack, which it actually does. Mm. But I'm like, at least that was a that was someone who was like, I don't actually want to kill you in this moment. I just want to give you a heart attack. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I think it's, I think it was Frank Miller in The Dark Knight Returns was the first one to literally say, have Batman say, that's why I wear a target on my chest. I, <laughs> I wear something for them to point at. Uh, but it makes sense. It's, it, as it's a retcon, yeah, but it, it does make total sense. And it's something Prometheus has fallen for here when there was an easier way for him. Yeah, and... And also, I, I think Prometheus's weird 
almost like nihilistic sense of humor is also part of his downfall because he just yes. doesn't take anything seriously like at all and yeah and, and that cockiness has, has again will, will come around to kind of bite him in the ass here because you know batman's on the floor uh his 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 symbol has been completely burnt off his chest kind of revealing just like the kind of kevlar armor under it and uh prometheus is is has turned his back to Batman, which you never do, and is running to pick up his nightstick. Yeah, but at the same time, Batman is reaching for his utility belt. Yeah, and uh, Prometheus goes, how does it feel to be beaten twice in your own home? My endorphins are taking care of the jaw pain. You'd need ten times the endorphins you've got to recover from what I'm going to do. (laughs) But then Batman points a little device that he's just pulled out of his belt at Prometheus and presses a little button on it. So it goes veep and says, your skills and reflexes are counterfeit, programmed directly into your nervous system from the CD in your helmet. And then there's a shot of Prometheus just spasming. Yeah, and as lightning shoots out of his helmet. Yeah, and all of a sudden he, he can't move. And Batman just says to him, I know that because I spent a month dissecting that helmet, the one you had to switch to after Oracle wrecked the new model, and I just rewrote the information on your disc. Yeah, and he goes, I wiped the martial arts and gymnastics programs. Your nervous and muscular systems are now being imprinted with the physical characteristics of one man. And then we get this double page spread of Batman punching Prometheus in the face as he shouts, Professor Stephen Hawking. (laughs) It's ridiculous. <laughs> now, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because like, if you were going to date anything about like Prometheus and this scene and everything, it's the fact that like he loads all the data into his brain with a mini disc. Yeah, that's probably the only the only. It's like futuristic, impossible technology, but it requires a mini disc. Yep. Yep. And. But- um, yeah, and and he hit. He basically he hits. He hits Prometheus so hard that his his helmet just completely shatters. Yep, and <laughs> that's it. It's over. Prometheus is now just lying on the floor, dealt with. And Batman asks Huntress if she's okay, and she says, "Did I see you cheating?" And Batman says, "Winning. <laughs> First yeah. time I ever hit a man with motor neuron disease." Yeah, and then he also says, and I like this, the watchtower seems to be falling down around around us. Restrain him while I appraise the situation. I just like the idea that, like, if if this had all gone to plan, spoilers, Batman would have just gone and stood in the corner for, like, five minutes. I yeah. kind of just picture him just going and having, like, a kind of very quiet five minutes where he just kind of just thinks about things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but instead he's he knows they're in the middle of a crisis, so he says, "Look, Huntress, you've got to restra- restrain him." And Huntress says, "If I'd won, he'd be dead, wouldn't you, creep?" And Batman just says, "Don't even think it. You break him, you pay for." As Prometheus manages to reach for the key around his neck and click it, and he and Huntress disappear. Yes, because you could you could easily forget about it. But one of the many weird things about Prometheus is that he has a cosmic key. Which allows him to teleport. Yeah. And and Batman just looks back, sees the empty space where Prometheus and Huntress was, and just goes, damn. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, 
So, uh, the pieces are moving around the chessboard. And, um, yeah, we get... Uh, we we cut to elsewhere in the watchtower where the away team has briefly returned. Yes, so now Wonder Woman, Orion, and Barda are also in the watchtower. So you do feel like things are now heavily against the Injustice Gang because that is some power. <laughs> but they they've realised the watchtower is under siege. There's no communications. Life supports down in several key modules. The Hall of Justice has been breached, and Wonder Woman says, "This is Mageddon's doing." And Orion says, all of it. Yeah, because from Wonder Woman's perspective, we have to assume that she left with Metron and Barda at the point where they knew there was a coming crisis, but also things was kind of okay. Like, when she left, it was probably like, oh yeah, the League are assembling, they're getting some reserve members, Uh, you know, Scott Free has bought some kind of additional new Genesis uh, kind of technology. I'm sure this will be fine. Then she's gone for like, I don't know, call it like a few hours, gets back in a cosmic sense, and it's all just gone to hell. She's probably just thinking, what on earth has happened? This is wild. (laughs) But Orion removes his mother box and passes it to Metron, telling him to take her where she'll most be needed. And as Barda points out, look, without Motherbox's soothing influence, and then Orion, <laughs> and again, pure Kirby here, the handsome mask I wear to spare fair new Genesis Maya Glynis shall fall away, revealing my true face, Barda, my true nature. And then his speech bubbles get all jagged, so you know he's getting angry. <laughs> then, as Orion in his wrath, let me confront the Annihilator. The blood-red game of gods has begun. <laughs> yeah, because Orion, uh, brilliant insane stupid wonderful creation that he is with this incredible kind of astro sled harness thing that he rides in um is is kind of looking forward to this yeah like if he's gonna die what better way to die than fighting literally the 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 cosmic warbringer like i mean yeah I'm, i'm glad someone's having fun basically it's it's an opportunity that doesn't arise very often, which is for Orion to just completely cut loose. <laughs> and he then leads the charge as he, Wonder Woman and Barda follow him. And Wonder Woman looks determined. She's Wonder Woman. She's getting into the fight. Barda is with them and charging, but she is looking at Orion with concern. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I guess at this point, they're just charging off. I, I don't know if they exactly know what direction they're charging in we we will find out where they go but i guess it's almost just like let's just go hit something let's find something to hit i think it's orion's following the sound of battle oh sure he's tuned in that way (laughs) yeah and i I think if you've got orion near you you probably just want to be following him you certainly don't want to be in front of him yes or or beside (laughs) him i would say um but then we cut to gotham city where we see Oracle, um, Barbara, sitting in her wheelchair, looking at her ruined workstation, like all her smashed computers, all her equipment, just trashed by Prometheus. Yeah, it's it's quite a forlorn panel, isn't it? Because you, you just get this feeling of utter isolation and loneliness, and without her equipment, she she's sort of feeling like, well, what can I do to help the League here? There's, there's not a lot. Yeah, it's... 
it's pretty hopeless as well because you know particularly for a character who has kind of suffered so much and has mm. done so much to kind of bring herself back you know and then it's like oh her big thing like her her outlet on the world has been has been destroyed here so it's a very kind of depowering kind of situation for her yeah and then we get this deep bass kind of like hang zimmer kind of like om noise <laughs> a crackle of lightning and then she turns and metron is behind her and she just goes please tell me you're one of the good guys because at this point <laughs> i'd be like oh fuck it man what now please <laughs> yeah and metron introduces himself as metron master of time space and mind and that there are no barriers to his mobius chair he is in present in the meta here the hyper now the omni moment and barbara just says that's some chair <laughs> yeah and she just goes uh you know planet earth could use some help right now and metron holds up the uh mother box and goes you know the celestials barda and orion are earth's elected defenders i have reasons of my own for giving you this you are only forerunners and i've always loved metron's costume mm -hmm. um i love his i love it more than ever here i love his weird little white gloves he's he's great <laughs> yeah and then we cut to the watchtower monitor room where we're in the middle of the battle between superman and the general and the general is holding superman above him and then firing into his face point blank with a giant gun and he just brags about how he'll regenerate no matter how much superman hits him all he can do is hit him and waste his strength while the world drowns yeah it's it's so rare to have a physical match for superman mm. and with that and, and in the events that you do it can sometimes feel a little a little cheap you know a bit a bit dragon ball z where we'll just <laughs> we'll just give we'll just add another power level um but yeah the general feels like a legitimate genuine equal to superman in a way and and particularly just with his utterly hateful personality to go with it um and um superman laser visions his arm off just cuts his arm right off um, which you might say is quite violent for Superman, but also he knows the general can take it. Yeah. Yeah. And, it well, it does force the general to sort of back off a bit, but then he just smashes Superman in the face with his other arm. And as Superman is on the floor and the general already starts to regrow the arm that's been cut off, Superman asks him why. And he just says, to see the disappointment on your corn-fed G-Wiz face, Superman. And because a great dark voice on the edge of nothing spoke to me and said you all had to die. Oh, my God. It's poetry. It's like, it's these weird little moments of... And again, don't get me wrong. It's Superman punching a big uh, topless man with tusks, you know. This is not the place you go to look for high art. This is what I like a lot about comics being low art and being wonderful for it. But it's like you just get these little moments of sublime sublime genius kind of hiding in there. It's like you could have just said, because I, because I hate you and I want to, Superman. But no. Oh, my God. A great dark voice on the edge of nothing. Like, oh, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And 
And again, it, 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 the dialogue feels very Kirby. It's just making me feel like the fact Morrison's never been given or wasn't at this point given their own New Gods series mm. was a real tragedy. Obviously, they did return to that well later on for like Final Crisis, but that wasn't very good. No, it's it's odd, isn't it? Yeah. A lot of New Gods stuff in, well, even in um, Seven Soldiers of Victory and mm. uh, leading into Final Crisis. But yeah, it's very different beast to what we see here. I feel like we were robbed of a... Porter and Morrison New Gogs series, which would have been tremendous. Yeah, I feel like if if Marvel hadn't poached Morrison for New X-Men straight after JLA, maybe that's what we would have gotten. Yeah, poach, Mor- uh, poach Morrison for, for, for X-Men and then not be happy with what Morrison delivers and cut the series short, which is yeah. very weird. Um. But then, yeah, um, the general um, turns his back on Superman and smashes through a wall. And in the background, you see kind of Superman kind of picking himself up and looking a bit unsteady. However, um, a voice comes on in his head and it's um, it's Jean. And he goes, stay where you are. Rest for a moment, old friend. Let him go. And we get this great thing where he says, I'm tracking the general's psychic wake as he passes. A great red-white froth of rage and fear. We have him where we want him. Yeah, and the general's just sort of moving on autopilot through the watchtower towards the portal to the, the ghost zone, the phantom zone, whatever you wish to call it. And Jean continues, his needs are simple. To reach safety and continue his mission on Earth, he's functioning like a machine, a living tank. Mageddon drives him now straight into our trap. Uh, yeah, because we, um, uh, it was established uh, by Batman that the Shaggy Man brain, the, the kind of hardware that General Eiling, Eiling uh, down- downloaded his consciousness into, uh, wasn't built to process a lot of like higher, mm. higher functional thinking. And just because we know the um, the Mageddon effect uh, kind of affects those who are a bit more kind of predisposed to violence and evil more, the general is like the perfect candidate. He's like a kind of blank slate that the all he does is destroy, and Mageddon's just kind of like filling him up. Basically, he's as we said, as as you said, he's he's functioning like a living tank. Yeah. Yeah, but before he can walk through the portal, a voice behind him shouts, Stand where you are, monster, and go no further. And oh, Orion is here. <laughs> oh my god, PJ, PJ. <laughs> oh, I love these panels. So the general knows who Orion is. He's like some kind of alien that thinks it's a god. We got dossiers on all of you. Sturmer is here as well, though. So the general <laughs> says, what's your little dog's name? And Orion just says, Sturmer kill and Sturmer <laughs> leaps at the general and bites the arm he just regrew off <laughs> and, and 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 just starts tearing like purple chunks out of the general who is made of uh, synthetic salamander tissue as we know mm. it is perhaps one of the most badass moments I have ever seen in a JLA book or indeed possibly any book ever it's it's certainly my favourite moment a dog has had in this book. 
I think I I have thought about this page a lot. Like over the years, this has always been on my mind. It's it's so cool. Yeah. No, it's awesome. And just just the way Orion just says kill and Sturma <laughs> launches at the general. And I do feel like this is gonna be more of a challenge for the general than Superman was. Because of the savagery of Sturma. It's like Sturma is a dog that has the strength of Superman without the rationality. He's just here to do his master's bidding. Yeah, and yeah, if if Superman has an inherent disadvantage against the general, it's his decency mm. in a way. Like Superman can't physically subdue the general, and he certainly can't rationalize with him. So in a weird way, as much as like Orion isn't as physically strong as Superman, he's certainly not as decent as Superman. Like, this is almost like a fight fire with fire kind of thing. We need a savage bastard to t to to try and take down an even more savage bastard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but while that's happening, uh, Jean is getting on telepathic sub-frequencies uh, to try and contact other leaguers. And we cut to Atlantis. Oh, yeah. Aquaman. Remember Who? him? who in this panel is riding a giant seahorse, and that makes me happy. <laughs> and, um, you know, Jean is like, uh, Aquaman, uh, I'm glad I found you. Uh, we're witnessing the fall of a watchtower. We need you to join Mr. Miracle. And before he can finish, Aquaman's like, look, forget it. I just got back to Atlantis. Uh, there is a civil war going on. We'll talk later, okay? And then we see um, Atlanteans just kind of killing each other basically like a great big fight going on yeah and uh and then and then aquaman strikes strikes up to a terrace and, and just starts kind of shouting at them basically yeah and and he says lay down your weapons you want to fight then fight for me and it's it's a small detail but it's it's like it is a good tactic to use against mageddon is like say to these people okay you've got this rage Fine, but let's point it somewhere. Let's use it. Yeah, and, um, you know, clearly Aquaman carries a great deal of authority. I know he's the king, um, but I think we've seen many storylines where the Atlanteans got a bit tired of their king. Um, yeah. But at this point, they're like, oh, oh crap, it's the king, look busy. And, uh, yeah, they, they stop fighting. Yep, yep. And that's all we get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't get attached to that scene. We're moving on. Yep, we're then in New York City where Queen Bee's drone ships are hovering around as loads of people sort of start building a hive and steel just flies above it all. Yeah, they have been very busy uh, very quickly, I would say. Very busy bees. <sighs> yeah, didn't even think. Walked right <laughs> into that one. Um, and we see that um, our ground team of heroes... Is 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 the very 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 unlikely grouping of Wonder Woman, Barda, and Plastic Man. Yep. <laughs> who are watching in secret. Yeah. So Wonder Woman tells us that the citizens of New York are using garbage, anything they can find to convert downtown New York into a giant hive complex. And Steel is a drone, like the rest of them, because of the hypnopollen. And Plastic Man then explains that he's an expert on bees because he used to share 
Prozac with a no-hope hero called the Red Bee who told him all about them. <laughs> I remember the Red Bee only because I own the DC Encyclopedia. <laughs> I don't know this character. Uh, I want to say we're kind of talking like a, a red domino mask. I want to say red and white, like stripy tights. Mm. And then like a kind of red tunicky kind of superhero costume. And I want to say, in addition to, he didn't have any superpowers, but I think he had trained bees to like help him fight fight <laughs> crime. I think. Um, yeah, really not not one of the uh, not one of the greats. I would say, but I do credit Morrison with actually remembering that character. Yeah, <laughs> just for this well, one-off little joke. Which is a lovely little moment. And then as Plastic Man is explaining all of this, Barda passes him a boom tube generator. And then Plastic Man morphs into a Kirby design. Just pure new god, pure... Even the face and his glasses. <laughs> Porter just draws a Kirby panel. And I love it. There's no need for it. But I love it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely delightful. Just because uh, uh, Plastic Man goes, Wait. My own boob boom tube generator? Does this make me a god? <laughs> Just delightful. Um, and um, yeah, the uh, yeah, Queen Bee um, is making herself very comfortable as, um, yeah, she's sitting on a throne. Uh, she has all her kind of hypnotized people, the kind of population of New York, uh, following, following her instructions as they just build and build and build. And uh, you might say that she's gone off the um, gone off the script a little bit from the Injustice Gang, but you know, I, I think it could could easily be said that she was her role in this was to kind of be a distraction for the league. You know, Luther promised her like a portion of the Earth's population to use. So yeah, I mean, she's she's still doing exactly what she wanted, which is just to take over a major city. Yep. And yeah, that. But among the workers that are building this hive for her are an under now an undercover Plastic Man, Wonder Woman, and Barda. And Barda says, "Plastic Man, this almost looks like a plan." And he <laughs> says, "I only act dumb." And then basically explains that the Queen cannot see the color red. Yeah, which um, is is so obscure. It has to be true. Yeah. Like I, I have never. I, I did do. I did study some bee stuff at uni when I was in my previous days as as a, as a biologist, and I do not know that. But I have to assume it's true. I'm I'm going to check. Can bees see red? Is bees are also thought uh, bees cannot see red because they don't have a photoreceptor for it. Ah. So that is that is true. There we go. That is true. But apparently, the other thing that Plastic Man says here is that while she, she can see in the ultraviolet spectrum, which apparently bees can. I do know, I do remember attending a talk where somebody said that as much as you, you look, you might look at a flower and go like, oh gosh, what a, what a beautiful flower. It's so pretty. But apparently um, they often have under UV light, you can see they have even crazier, more beautiful patterns on their, on their leaves, which are only visible in, in UV light. And honestly, they look like runways. It's like they're guiding the bees down the petals. It's like a kind of oh wow, yeah, track you can follow. Um, 
and I, I but I, I would also like to shout out how Wonder Woman and Barda are wearing a sweater and a hoodie respect uh, respectively over their costumes. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're in disguise, sort of. And that's why Plastic Man is so inconspicuous. Well, he's he's in red. She can't see him. It's fine. Well, he is also kind of a a clown. Yeah. Well, he's he's still Plastic Man. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he says. Uh, he then says, "You know why me and Steel hang out? We're both lateral thinkers. As we get a little close up of Steel, yeah, and kind of like a smile on his face, maybe. Yeah, yeah, mm. not really clear. But we're just going to leave that and turn the page. Uh, yeah, and uh, we cut to the JLA Embassy, North America. Now, PJ, given your knowledge of." I don't know, JLA history. Is the JLA embassy on ground level, is that some kind of holdover from the days of uh, Justice League International? I think so. I think so, yeah. Um, they, I think during the international days, they had multiple embassies sort of around the world. So my guess is they've just chosen one of those to gather in. Um in the the North American one, but yeah, I, I think because they had, I want to say one was in Russia, um, which is why oh, the uh, the rocket oh, red the ro- rocket regs yes rocket reds were were on the JLA and and one was then somewhere in Europe. Part of me wants to say Paris. Um, I, to, I was going to say Paris as well, but I might be might be mistaken. Yeah. But I think then this must be the the Manhattan, the New York one. Um, And yeah, we've got a shot of the embassy, some people flying towards it, as well as Blue Beetles, the Beetle ship. Oh, I had never noticed, uh, never noticed the Beetle beetle ship. Yeah, well, I always notice the Beetle ship because I bloody love it. As someone um... asks, hey, who put you in charge, Mr. Miracle? And we can guess before we even get to the next panel. This is probably Guy Gardner. Yep, it's Guy Gardner. (laughs) <laughs> everyone's resident asshole yeah and he shouts uh, that there are supervillains going schizo in the streets and world leaders baying for blood and Mr. Miracle also there says well yeah but you know we've we've got issues here we've got other things to deal with and there are many superheroes on this page yeah and I, I also just like that Mr. Miracle effectively shuts down uh, uh, Guy Gardner by saying look no one's in charge here if you want you can help you can bring some ideas to the table or you can leave basically so yeah shut up yeah um, and then he says look that mageddon is is on its way yeah and i think uh if we look uh very closely at some of the tiny tiny figures of heroes who are assembled um if i look down on the second row pj i can see a uh, a very small booster gold and blue beetle yep i can see a hitman Yep. And I think I can see uh, the thing. I, yeah, I think also if you look just next to Booster Gold, the other side of Blue Beetle, I think that's the Vision. Oh, if it isn't Vision, it might be Gem, Son of Saturn. Oh, true. It could just be Gem. You're right. That might not be. Yeah. Adam, uh, Adam, I think that's then uh, Arsenal or possibly Connor Hawk next to the thing. Uh, and yeah. then the speech bubble sort of obscure everyone else. And then you've got... I want to say vibe. Definitely vibe. Um, there's that one 
I, I remember seeing this character on the cover of JLA Avengers with the big yeah. hood, and I do not know what they're called. No, me neither. Me neither. But then on, on the main section where they're actually coloured in, you've got our man, um, Elongated Man. I completely forgot. I was like, <laughs> Elastic Man? No, that's not right. Elongated Man. Uh, uh, Alan Scott and Jay Garrick. The Demon. Starfire. Um, yeah. Firestorm. Firestorm. Who's that? I'm Who's... not sure. No, I'm struggling with that one, to be honest. Uh, but we have Zatanna, Supergirl, uh, Wonder Girl, the current Wonder Girl, uh, yep. Ray, uh, uh, Jay Garrick, the Flash again, because he's in like multiple locations, Superboy, Red Tornado, I think. Yes, so Young Justice are together. Yeah, I think that's pretty much like everyone I can name. Right. Yeah, now. same. And then we get an, an internal panel that the Creeper is in, and then another guy, and I don't really know who... A couple of red guys, I don't know who they are. <laughs> no, that's lost on me, actually. Um, but someone does say, are we having another crisis? Already? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there's a big... Uh, a big... Boom, doom noise of a door being thrown open. And yeah. who should stumble in... But Ooh. Aztec. Oh, Aztec, but he's he's blind. He says, Aztec, I'm I'm blind. I saw its face, the burning shadow, I saw its eye, and it saw me. Aztec issue one, Tetscat the Poker was mentioned. That's what is listed on the DC wiki as the first technical mention of Mageddon. Which could uh, now could arguably be a bit of a retcon. Yeah, I think it probably is. I think it probably is. I think that was only ha that it was only once the Aztec series was cancelled that I think that was folded in. Mm. But for somebody who, as as I've said a hundred times now, this is this is the first JLA book I've ever read. It's the first time I've ever seen Aztec. I always just assumed that Tezcat uh, uh, the Poker was Mageddon. You know, I I I I had no reason to doubt that. It just seemed to work quite well. Yeah. No. I. I same and. I'd read Rock of Ages, but I got more out of Aztec in this book than I did out of that. It's because of this book that when they then released the trade of Aztec solo series, I went and bought that because Aztec doesn't get... He, he gets a couple of cool moments in Rock of Ages, but doesn't really get a lot to do. Whereas no, I think in this no. book, as we go on, there's some really good Aztec stuff. And and yeah, and again, if for a... If, as somebody who read the whole thing in reverse, like I loved Aztec in this book. I thought mm. it was like the coolest thing in the world. Mm. Um, but yeah, don't get attached to that scene, PJ, because we cut back to the JLA Watchtower, where <laughs> where um, Jean, Zariel, and Kyle are still trying to deal with great big eyeball Luther, and Luther's voice, which I guess is really just like um, the mouthpiece for Mageddon at this point. Uh, is is kind of talking to them, bringing its kind of doom-laden messages as Jean attempts to do a telepathic merge with the entity. Yeah, and there are moments where Luthor's saying, you know, there is nothing to bargain with, there is only Mageddon, it has begun. And then it sort of cuts into Luthor himself as he says, this is my voice, but not my thoughts, not my mind. 
And then Mageddon comes back in. It is like a factory, never ending. Its purpose is to turn life into death. And then Luthor comes back in as he says, can anyone hear me? I'm Lex Luthor and I can't get out. Yeah, and, and you know, Zarya was like, like, you know, good God, like this is... This is the same thing we we confronted during the prison riot, you know, just reminding people. Um, and again, call it Mageddon, call it uh, Tezcatlipoca, call it um, the Great Dragon, the billion-eyed beast of the abyss. Um, and he says, "Be careful, Jean. It's not a living mind." And I just want to give a little kudos. It's a small panel here, and Jean is mostly in silhouette, but he looks absolutely incredible. <laughs> yeah, so he does. Cool. He really does. And Kyle points out the Luthor we know wouldn't ever allow anyone to control him like this and just starts shouting at him, Luthor, shake it off. <laughs> Which yeah, is just yeah. what Huntress did with him, with Green Lantern, with the hypnopollen from Queen Bee. So Kyle knows that a strong enough willpower can break free of this sort of mental control. Yeah, and it's like Kyle has astonishing willpower. Luthor has an astonishing ego. So... <laughs> let's appeal to that so as Jean is is kind of visibly sweating and you know you can feel like his brain kind of frying trying to merge with Mageddon Kyle is just going like Luther you know you're the smartest guy on the planet you know you're always telling us that I'm losing a lot of respect for a great criminal mastermind here you're being outsmarted by a giant eyeball yeah yeah, as Zariel is, is saying, well, how many more eyes are there in, in the White House, in a Karachi bunker, a Kremlin storeroom? They're generating anger, madness and war. But then Luthor, Kyle's reached him. He starts tearing at the eyeball and and then just manages to burst out of it. Sort of, It, it explodes around him as energy it blasts out of his eyes, his mouth and his ears. And... Jean falls to the ground as well, and yeah, it's it it's it's a crazy panel. <laughs> yeah, and and then you know, um, uh, Jean falls to his knees, uh, smoking. I have to say, uh, there is like steam or or smoke drifting off his body. Kyle picks up the limp body of Lu as of Luther, as there is just kind of like alien guts kind of scattered everywhere. And and Jean says, "What happened?" Uh, and sorry, Zario says, uh, "Jean, like, what happened? What did you see?" And Jean can only mutter in a quiet voice, "Evacuate the watchtower. It's here." Yeah, yeah. So then we get a panel that just says "soon," and it's Batman, Superman, and Jean stood together in the watchtower, uh, presumably in the same room because there's that little model watchtower on the table. Batman's got a new costume; he's repaired, so his symbols all all fine on there. He's changed, um, <laughs> but. Superman says the watchtower is booby trapped, but Jean, you and I could defuse those bombs in. And Jean says, well, 70 seconds exactly, but then the general would have escaped into the void. This is where Prometheus took Huntress. This is where Orion and the general went. This is where we have to go. Yeah, and I, I, I do like that the caption just says soon. Yeah. Because it's wonderfully nondescript, because it's soon enough that they only have 70, 70 seconds by which the general will escape uh but it's also it's, it's it gives batman enough time to change and it gives superman enough time to join them so I, I like soon it's just kind of like i'm like guys maybe if we weren't talking maybe we'd be doing more diffusing right now 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, so they are going to head into the still zone, though, to chase down the general and get Orion and Huntress back, um, which is the where the White Martians had docked their mothership originally. And Superman says, but everything we built is in ruins. They succeeded. Luthor, Prometheus, they smashed the League to pieces like ignorant <laughs> children. And it's Batman who says, oh, don't be so sentimental. You and John can build another headquarters in 10 minutes. Forget the Watchtower. They didn't get us. And that's the point. The Watchtower isn't the Justice League. It's the characters who are. And I I also like how we've, we're well past the point where we've, we've tipped over into cosmic threat. Like, we're well past that. Mm. So this would normally be like... Um, you know, like Omega level mutant kind of territory. You know, we need big guns only from this point. And I like that Batman's with them. You, yes. you know, because it's like this is very, very, very far beyond Batman's skill set on paper. But it's also like, yeah, of course you want Batman with you. You know, <laughs> every time. Yeah, this is like. Oh, we need the heavy hitters? Yeah, of course. Superman? Yep. Martian Manhunter? Absolutely. Batman? Of course. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just a nice little moment. I like it. It's like the senior members of the League just getting together to kick ass, basically. And as they head into the still zone, we see a Martian jump ship take off from the Watchtower, and it's got Kyle and Lex Luthor in it. So Kyle's been given a crash course in flying it by Jean. He just has to think into the engine. And he says, okay, Superman, John, and Batman, and Orion are in the Phantom Zone. Plastic Man, Steel, Wonder Woman, and Barter are in New York. I've got Luthor. And then we get a shot of Zauriel stood by one of the bombs that's counted down to one, as Zauriel just says, unto you I commend my... And then the Watchtower explodes. And, and we just get this shot of... Kyle racing away in the Martian jump ship. As behind him, we see a nuclear blast sending a shockwave around the moon where the watchtower was. And he just goes, Zariel? And that's the end of the <laughs> issue. I realise in reading this page, because I've spent the week uh, proofreading uh, the uh, Book of Life and the Book of Death mm. prints. And once again, I am reminded of how many moments I have shamelessly ripped off for... Because <laughs> I do this exact moment in an Afterlife Inc. story where a character is counting off all the characters. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't end with a bomb, to my credit, but it does end with someone going, saying someone's name and going, hang on a minute, because they realise they left someone behind. And that is a complete direct rip-off of this moment. I am a fraud. I am a massive fraud. I mean, if you are going to rip off, though, just rip off the best. Yeah, and I'm, I'm hoping that the estate of Morrison won't ever listen to this and, <laughs> and come a-knocking. <laughs> nah, you're all good. Yeah, all good. Well, thank you, PJ. Um, as my, as Unless my legal... I'm wrong and, and they do and, and we get no, that No, you, that no, PJ, interview, your advice, your advice episode. is legally binding. It's fine. Um, and, uh, yeah, the um, that's, the end of the, that's the end of the issue, PJ. It what is. do you think? Oh, it's crazy. It's another... oh, I love this story so much. And by this story, I mean the whole of JLA and 
this is the the end of one story, as far as I'm concerned, and it's such a good ending. Mm. No, ag- uh, agreed. Um, I, I, I've said it. I've said it once. I've said it a hundred times. In terms of value for money, so much happens in this issue. It doesn't feel rushed, mm. and you also get some astonishingly badass moments. It's kind of incredible, actually. Yeah. It really is. It's It's, superb. It's driving the plot forward while also being very cool. And it's hard to strike that balance. It's hard to do both. But Morrison and Porter and the entire team have managed it here. It's it's tremendous. Yes, agreed. Agreed. It's excellent. And you get your cool action moments, and there are so many of them. And Jean really gets a lot of them obviously batman beating up prometheus yes that is amazing but jean gets some of the really cool stuff with saving kyle from the the beam and then making that telepathic contact with luthor you get Sturmer attacking the general (laughs) oh i love it and all the 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 kirby dialogue and the kirby uh influences on the art are just stunning and it really does feel like a very dark, twisted take on a Kirby story to me, and and I love it for that. I think Morrison and Porter channel Kirby so well. Yeah, I, I like, yeah, and really like not to not to undersell, you know, Porter's Porter's contribution to this. Like, it does feel like a worthy successor to Kirby, and and you know, and if Kirby. Had somehow had the gift of immortality and had kept telling stories for decades more. Maybe this is the kind of story he would have been doing with the new god mythology. It seems, it just seems so fitting. It's modern, but it's also, it's also not kind of like throwing everything that came before out the window either. It's, yeah, it seems like a very good approach to. And maybe, frankly, maybe this is the Morrison kind of approach to everything, but it seems like a very good approach to continuity and playing in a world with a rich history, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Totally. And it's brilliant. It is so, so good. And that first image of Mageddon that Porter does, that almost splash page, bloody hell. (laughs) I don't think I'd ever seen anything like that in a comic before when I first read this. It's again it's so unconventional because if you're going to design like a big cosmic warbringer, I think it'd be very tempting to make it like a big evil robot or a big spaceship or or yeah. maybe just like an energy field or something. The fact it's like a weird reptilian egg with little legs is is very 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 unusual. Yeah. It really is. And you know, I that does feel like a design Morrison came up with and dictated to Porter, but Porter makes it sing. It oh. makes it sing a terrifying nightmare song, but he makes uh, it uh, sing. Oh, oh, yeah. And and again, like, you know, talking about just making moments sing, I mean, um, Porter arguably firing on full cylinders in the fight between Prometheus and Batman, uh, the incredible double-page spread of Kyle and Luther. Uh, I, I I would say that the you know even just ignoring the incredible detail that goes into the eyeball, just the composition of the image 
Like, it's so... There are so many different ways that so many different artists could draw. You know, the scene direction is Kyle looks worried at Ring and there is Luther surrounded by a big eyeball. There are almost an infinite number of like arrangements, camera angles, positions mm. you could do to draw that panel. And I think Porter does one of the best ones imaginable. Like, when you consider it, it's just it's, it's a guy standing in front of a guy sitting down. It's, yeah. It's one of the most cinematic shots you you could you could possibly do. It's 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 remarkable. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I've just been flicking through, and I'm excited for the next issue. <laughs> uh, special shout outs to uh, Kirby esque dialogue. I would say the blood red game of Gogs has begun. I mean, it's... everything Orion says in this issue, basically. <laughs> That's very high. And I would also say the general uttering the line, and because a great dark voice on the edge of nothing spoke to me and said you all had to die <laughs> i delightful just 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 delightful loving it yep yep it is <sighs> oh it's too good it's too good and it's Jay. good to know it's good to think about what's coming ahead as well because you know as two aztec fans i think the we're we're going to be very happy going forward. The the Justice League peaked with this series. It really, they really did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 certainly a shame we didn't see more Aztec. Just just in general, you know, uh, over the course of the series. But again, when there was a time in my life when all I knew about about him was what I read in this book, I was very satisfied with what I got out of his appearance here. Yep. Yep. Oh. I love it. I love it so much. Is there anything else you'd like to bring up, PJ? I'd just like to gush more, I think, but that, uh, you know. <laughs> okay, I'm going to find one more thing to say that I haven't said already. Um, I think Zhong's cape game in this issue is particularly strong. It's that, that small panel you mentioned where he's mostly just in shadow in the middle of that page where he's about to make telepathic contact with uh, with Mageddon. And his cape's very Batman in that one, the way it's wrapped around him. I think they've tried so many times over the years to redesign Jean's look. It's no point. So, ma so many times. And I can't help but feel they've only ever made it look worse. Um, I'm not resistant to change. I actually quite like change. I just feel that there is something so iconic about his costume. Yeah. You can make it look good, and Porter proves that it's possible. Give him a big cape. Give him a big vampire, kind of like a vampiric, like, duke kind of cape with the high, the high collar, whatever it's called, and, you know, let him wrap it around himself so he looks Batman-esque. Go big. I, I like a big cape on Jean. Yeah, no, same. Agreed. Okay, PJ, you get to say one one more positive thing. One more positive thing. Um, well, it's the moment when Batman shatters Prometheus's helmet for me. I think because that is the end of Prometheus as a justifiable character for DC Comics. That is, you know, oh my god, you're right, Batman. Batman punched Prometheus into uh, effectively, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he punched him so hard he punched he him into irrelevance he, oh my god 
Oh, you're right, PJ, you're right. I completely glossed over the fact that this is effectively the end of Prometheus. Yeah, he gets that cool moment in JLA Avengers, though he doesn't come out of it very well. But other than that, there's nothing else I like with Prometheus in it after this. <sighs> Prometheus, we hardly knew ye, honestly. And and we kind of wish we didn't know you after this. Yeah, very strange. <laughs> very, very strange. Well, PJ, given that we've had a lot of things to say and they're all good, which is lovely. It's a very mm. powerful position to be in. Um, is there anything else you'd like to shout about? Uh, one thing which is uh, Safe Space, the tabletop RPG show I am playing alongside uh, several other people from the UK independent comic scene, all overseen by the wonderful Vince Hunt. We were going to do it live. We couldn't because Vince's <laughs> internet couldn't handle it apparently so now we just play and then we uh, pre-record that and we release that on youtube so at the moment it's coming out every monday uh, there is a live stream of the recording that you can watch on mondays from half seven i hope that i've got that right uh, <laughs> on, uh, on the jester diablo youtube channel uh, which is vince's channel so you can join that and join the chat every monday night while uh, while watching a game we'd played the previous week and then it's always available on demand on youtube then permanently so go check that out safe space three episodes available at the moment uh with episode four to come soon so please do give it a watch i would appreciate it and listener if, if you enjoy pj on this show why wouldn't you want to hear him in peril in space and boy were we in peril last episode <laughs> There was, there was much peril. <laughs> Each moment more perilous than the last. Yeah, Vince managed to create an atmosphere that really made me feel like the first time I was playing Resident Evil on the PlayStation. So, oh great, oh lovely. <laughs> um, I, uh, uh, I'm, I, we do intend to get back to it at some point, but um, for a few years, uh, we were running uh, that big punch. We were running our kind of RPG. Podcast, mm. uh, first flight and uh, the only reason we kind of took a break from it is because last year we were uh we were trying to produce uh red rolls our, our card game and it's funny how that essentially you know getting that to print and everything and fulfilling it you know it's like a year of your life and you just didn't have enough space but we will be returning to that at some point but um i've i've had a i've had a polite request from from lucy uh my my wife my colleague and my um uh, kind of uh, co-host of the show to maybe refrain a little bit from the weird body horror the viruses <laughs> uh anything kind of slime based if at all possible and i was looking back at my track record going like oh yeah oh yeah things all did get a bit plaguey and and body horror-y for a while i should maybe think about that i i think you should maybe bring in a primordial annihilator oh i think Given that it's been 22 years since this series, I, I think the world is ready for it again. Yeah. yeah. I can't <laughs> imagine D DC being litigious if I just take Mageddon and start making my own stories. I can't imagine that being a problem. Call, just call it something else. Call him... Mageddo. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> I did, let's be honest. If, if, this, if Mageddon had been created in the the 40s or the 50s 
he probably would have been called Armageddo. Yeah, something, something like, that. like that. It could have been the Scaro, the, another Scaro of the day. It could have been. But he, he also would have had like a, a, a kid sidekick called Getty. <laughs> Armageddo and the the the, 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 the Legion of Super Geddies. <laughs> Oh, they be little eyeballs, PJ. Yeah, gee whiz, man, ghetto. What are we gonna do next? Oh my god. Ah, we're wasted. We're wasted on on a, on an unfeeling world, PJ. We um, are. it's 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 been a delight talking JLA today, and, and so I guess I should take this moment to thank Gav Mitchell for our uh, incredible cover artwork. Uh, he also plays in Safe Space, and you can see his artwork there as well, just to say. And to Elliot Red, who composed and performed our wonderful theme tune, Justice, and also uh, composed and performed the theme tune to Safe Space. So if you like Elliot's theme tune, there's more of that there as well. It's arguably 75% of what makes the JLA, enjo- the JLA cast enjoyable is yeah, I've on just, Safe Space. I've just got to find a way to shoehorn you into it now too. and then <laughs> I, I, I will petition Vince to, be, to voice every NPC. I will. I will just repeatedly. It, 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 it's a trope I kind of love, where in certain comedy series you'd always just have one character who just played every nondescript. Yeah. Yeah. I will just. I'll, I'll be a merchant. I'll be an alien. I'll be a sentient tree or something like that. I'll just. I'll just pop up repeatedly. I think you'd be a really good sentient tree. Thank you. I have. I have a track record actually. <laughs> uh, and, and if you have enjoyed uh, hearing PJ and I waffle on, you can find us on social media. Our details are in the episode description. So PJ, if we really have exhausted uh, this uh, this apocalyptically good episode, could you please see us off in your own unique fashion? Join us next time for the JLA Cheesecast. <laughs>